Welcome to Tunes and Tumblr's Century Club by Atwood Magazine, your weekly shot of what's new in music. I'm your host, Anthony, and Mitch says my only job is to remind you to give both Atwood and Tunes and Tumblr's a like, subscribe, share on all the platforms, and to tell your friends about the show. Mask mandates may be lifting, but the government can't force anyone to hang out with us. Yep. <laughs> Please send us your friend requests responsibly. Because it's a Century Club, we have quite the treat in store for you. Tampa Synthwave group Glove will be joining us at the end of the show to discuss their recently released LP, Boom Nights. Who are Glove, you ask? Imagine yourself in the strobing lights of an underground club circa 1986 with New Order and Soft Cell on rotation, and you've come pretty close. They're at the forefront of cutting-edge New Age nostalgia, and we've caught them before the second half of their North American tour, which commences on May 9th and includes a handful of dates with none other than Jack White. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear that interview and indulge in the seediness of their single, Behavior. Of course, we all know that drinking alone is a sad, sad business, so I found a couple of guys hitchhiking home from Coachella naked and covered in glitter, and they are... Ryan, your music connoisseur. Wait, there's only one of you? What happened to Pedro? <laughs> oh boy, I don't know. I don't know if we know what happened. He's, uh, he was swept away in a desert storm, is one thing I heard. Was he with you, uh, like, on the way back? Was he also naked? I saw him a few times. Can't speak to uh, his outfit. <laughs> but he was alive last time I saw him, mm. um, presumably. Well, I mean, I hope we hear from him soon. But I think in the meantime, you and I can probably pilot this plane. Do you know how to make a shot? <clears throat> uh, I think so. I think so. I, about, I can do a good pickleback shot. All right. And that's about it. <laughs> so in the episode... I don't have the flair, though. <laughs> we're just going to make a pickleback shot, everyone. Um, it pairs with everything, so don't worry about uh, whatever it is we're talking about today. But I'm sure you already know what the episode's about since you can read the episode description. Why don't we start with a little news coming out of the Coachella Valley? What do you say we dust off the cobwebs of that old news desk, Ryan? Let's do it. Right. First up, Insider spoke to the hidden heroes behind everyone's favorite music festival. Kelly Algrim interviewed on-duty security guards at Coachella about what festival goers should stop doing. There are four. First, they should stop thinking they know everything and listen to staff when they say they're not allowed in a section because there's always a reason. Security guards can't touch guests, but that doesn't mean that you should just like blow past security, everyone. Uh, number two, they should stop lying about having stuff and pretending it's not there. Uh, they'll straight up pull the, that's not mine trick, even when guards are staring right at prohibited items. Folks, security could go to jail if they let you take those things in. So again, listen to them. Number three, stop trying to hop barriers or even bribe security to give you access to forbidden areas. That's just annoying. And then number four, this one's very important. Male attendees should stop trying to intimidate or quote, schmooze female staff members. Come on, guys. It's 2022. Do we really need to keep telling you 
all of this until the end of time, not cool. And Ryan, I'm sure you weren't guilty of any of these. No, no, I don't think so. I was pretty respectful, though. One thing that was interesting was early on in the festival was how many of the security guards didn't um, didn't seem to know what um, certain wristbands were like. They seemed to be learning as we were. <laughs> so we'd be like, hey, does this get us back here? And he goes, and they'd be like, what? What is that one? I, I think so. What is that? Is that a you know, and just like asking questions which I don't attribute, I don't, that was not a fault of theirs. That's a management fault, I think. And putting them in those situations, I think, um, was, you know, not ideal. And I think that led to a lot of confusion and a lot of people taking advantage of that, trying to breeze through or, yeah, trying to like smooth talk their way in or say, no, actually, this does get me in. And other people having to come in to say, well, no, it doesn't. So it's holding up everything. So that I would say definitely I saw a lot of that and it contributed to the flow of the festival in a very negative way, I thought. And so, um, yeah, uh, it's disappointing to hear that they experienced that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> all that to say, no, I was a perfect angel the entire weekend. We don't ever have to worry about you. They were all thanking me. <laughs> Everyone was thanking me, saying how wonderful I was. <laughs> Uh, well, TNT fans, you have been forewarned about what not to do for Coachella 2023, barring yes. the zombie virus variant of COVID, which I'm sure is on its way. Uh, Indeed. Be prepared. Ryan, do you have something to add to the Coachella news? Well, um, I mean, there were some fun guest appearances that were pretty well covered at this point. As we record this, day three of Weekend 2 is happening, and I'm sure there will be more news as we go, as the day goes on. So, you know, I could rehash some of the special guest appearances that occurred throughout the weekend, but you can find all that. There were a lot of celebrities out and about, and along with them, a lot of private security guards who were quite intense. Um, if you've ever been around that, it's a very strange feeling. <laughs> People with earpieces close to you covering their mouth when they talk yeah. makes it seem like something's about to go down. Apparently, Kendrick Lamar showed up for Baby Keem's set, and the the reason I found out about it is because... Kendall Jenner was just in like the normal crowd with people um, videoing it. So, wow. yeah, I'm sure that she was swarmed by security. She should just stay in the artist area. Honestly, why make it? Why make it a whole fucking production? You're just going to draw people to you. Yeah. Yeah. That was happening a lot, though, too. I saw Jaden Smith walking around a lot. Um, Jared Leto was in the crowd for Billie Eilish. Um so yeah, the celebs were celebs were out in full force. There's also another festival that happens nearby called the Revolve Festival, I think is what it's called. Ooh, yeah. And it's kind of mostly for influencers, and it's kind of an ancillary event that happens nearby. And a lot of those people end up going between events, I think. And so, yeah, um, quite a funny event it's become. I hadn't been in, God, probably over a decade. So this was this was quite a different Coachella than I remember. Um, but of, of course it is, you know, things evolve, things change. And I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later, but first of all, thank you for helping me bring back OG Century Club with the news desk, but indeed, I think that we still have the problem of doing a pairing without Pedro. Um, we could probably do at least the tunes part for, for people who can't read. What are we covering today, Ryan? Well, we're going to do a debrief of some of the music and sounds we heard this weekend at Coachella weekend one. 
want to make that clear because I was not n- not at weekend two, but weekend one. Yeah, we we don't go hard. We are in our twenties um, or thirties or forties, depending on what your head <laughs> canon is, and we are too old to just go that hard anymore. Uh, we are geriatric millennials, as they say. <laughs> Wait, hang on a second. The red light is flashing on our answering machine over here. You know what? This might be Pedro. Can I can I play it? Let's see. Red light means a ghost could be here. Too. <laughs> well, if it in Lynchian in a Lynchian world, a flashing light means a spirit or presence has entered. Well, let's see which presence has entered today. Hey guys, sorry I couldn't be there for this episode. Um, I actually left the festival days ago, but I'm still stranded here in the parking lot trying to find my car. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a little rough. It's hot. I've been having to live off of half-empty water bottles and whatever dates I can fight the crows off for. Uh, but I had a really good time at Coachella, so this is all worth it. Um, and I think I can still contribute a shot to this episode. So let's see what I've got to work with. So first off, I've got some tequila. I bought a double shot on Friday, and it costs like $30, so I've just been sipping it ever since, really trying to get my money's worth. So let's throw that in there. Uh, I've also got half a lime and a jalapeno that I found on the yellow path. I think it was left behind by some hot dog vendors. So let's put that in there for some heat, and then just sort of give it a nice sweet flavor and really honor Coachella, which is famous for palm trees. Let's use some of these dates that I've got. Uh, give it some sweetness and and really tie it into the festival. Um, I'm going to call this a palm nectar. And um, you're just going to take those ingredients and shake it up with some ice. Well, you guys are going to use ice. I've got rocks. But it's all good. We're, 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 we're keeping our spirits up here. So, yeah, that's a palm nectar for you guys. Enjoy. Um, I'm going to keep looking for my car. And hopefully I'll be back soon. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Wow. Cheers to that. Well, cheers to him finding his car. I mean, I will say this. The parking lot was no joke there, and it was absolute hell getting out of there, no matter when you were trying to get out. It was um, quite chaotic. So wishing the best for Pedro. Let's bring, let's bring our boy home. Do they allow you to stay on Sunday night if you want to avoid the traffic, or do they just tell you to like get the hell out of there at like 1 in the morning? Because back in 2012, we had to leave like right after Snoop Dogg played. Um. Well, what do you mean by leave? Like, do you mean like the camping, the yeah, campsite? Like we had to take down I our campsite and go. Well, number one, I can't believe you camped. Um, <laughs> I was in college. I was invincible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that was exactly the takeaway I had for this weekend, which was that doing general admission and camping is a task. I think um, best practiced by the young. Um, I would find that very hard. I mean, by day three, we were very tired we almost didn't make it out um it was very hot and very windy and so those with allergies um had a bit of a rough go at it i would say i can imagine (laughs) and yeah um so good on you for doing that um i don't know if they kicked people out i imagine they they would but that would seem terrible like to i don't think so because a lot of people leave monday morning Okay, maybe we just like left with most people. Maybe we had school the following day. That was probably it. <laughs> yeah, people work and, but um, yeah, we left. We left Sunday night. We drove back. Um, we skipped the weekend in Swedish House Mafia. Yeah, <laughs> I will say this is my hot take. Doja Cat should have headlined. 
she was better than the weekend in <laughs> Swedish House Mafia. I okay, I was not there. Everyone who watched our story <laughs> knows I was not there, but I watched the whole live feed. So I got to see some. I will say, acts. yeah, she will be headlining in a couple years. Um, she definitely had the most, I think, out of anyone I saw visually, sonically, everything was on point. It was so exciting, so cool, and really surprising. I mean, she had a full band there and with a guitarist doing just some incredible uh, solo work. And like some of these songs were just so elevated and the choreography was so cool, so creative. And, um, and she just has so many fun songs. Mm-hmm. I love you know? the metal um, version that she did of Say So. That was great. <laughs> yeah, she, well, that was what was so fun was that, you know, I think a lot of, there's this tendency for folks who are a little bit older, you can kind of hear murmurs of like, who are these bands that they don't, there's not enough live, what happened to all the live music, you know, and, um, you know, and, and you can hear that as crotchety and uh, woe is me and, you know, all that. But, you know, there is something to be said. This was a, a, a music as a whole for this festival has shifted to pop, hip hop and rap. Mm-hmm. You know, electronic music's always been a big part of the fest. So that hasn't changed. There's been a pretty consistent through line on really high quality electronic music, but um, not as much live rock. And so the fact that she made an effort to incorporate that in on top of it, I thought was such a cool move and really elevated it. And cause yeah, it's such a big stage and you really, um, to me, it can be, it can be a little, I leave sometimes a little unfulfilled if it's just one DJ on a big stage, you know, you need Um, a whole production, but that said, the only people on stage during Billie Eilish's set were Billy Phineas and their drummer. And yet I feel like she just commanded presence the entire time that I, I was really into it. She did. She's come a long way in that regard, I think, and has really made that made the stage her own. And, um, and yeah, that visually, I feel like she's had a pretty strong show and made use of shadows and space in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. I agree with you on that. I was, I, I caught that set. I caught that headliner. <laughs> um, so yeah. And some great guest stars last night we had, um, she brought out, um, Paramore mm-hmm. and weekend one, she brought out Damon Albarn of the gorillas, which great picks nods to the two thousands. Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about that for a minute because Coachella started as this niche event back in 1999. We, we covered it a little bit in our Woodstock 99 episode that people will not stop listening to. Guys, we have better episodes. <laughs> Please listen to something else. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of shifted to this yearly staple in music and pop culture. What do you make of this kind of shift to it becoming this huge event? Yeah, well, I think the festival of Coachella itself, the fact that there's a there's Coachella culture is a huge shift. And the fact that I think once people started buying tickets without seeing a lineup was a real indication of that the festival itself had become bigger than the acts mm-hmm. is how it's kind of seemed to me. Um, and so I was sort of at first I was excited to go, but felt like I was, you know, um, it had felt a little less discovery, music discovery oriented and artist focused than it once did. Um, 
but I was pleasantly surprised to discover lots of great new acts and be surprised by some that I knew and felt really invigorated during my time there. But yeah, I think it's undeniable that this has become quite a corporatized event. You know, the, some of the longest lines I saw were to get into the American Express area, <laughs> you know, the American Express Arctic tent or the HP chill zone, the Heineken area, you know, that's been a huge shift. And, um, and how, and what was striking also was how dead it was in the beginning of the day. Um, very few people out and about around like 1231 when there's so much good music to be seen. Um, it's very much a night festival, mm-hmm. I think. And so, yeah. And I think it's, it seemed like largely people seem to, their priorities seem to be engaging with the immersive events. Right. They had this like neon rainbow walkway tower thing. And, um, and the merch had probably merch line had probably 200 something people in line. It was a two and a half hour wait. Um, the Ferris wheel of course always has long lines. So yeah, I think that's, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's hard to say if it's good or bad. It doesn't seem as inspired to me, but that's just where it's gone. And I think that that's kind of what it's been. What's your take on it as a, (laughs) I kind of, I kind of agree. I think that there's plenty, there's so many festivals now. There's so much counter-programming to Coachella if you want something more geared to your taste. For instance, I usually go to Bottle Rock, mainly because it's in my hometown, but they have been really good about, and until recently, like they've maintained a rock base, and I'm not saying that that's like a good thing or a bad thing, but they've been able to gradually incorporate electronic artists and hip-hop artists, where it really feels like a well-rounded festival. Uh, this year, not so much. I'm not going. It, it feels a little too, like, rock and oldies, kind of. I mean, I say oldies. I'm, I mean, like, artists who were popular in the early 2000s. Uh, but, <laughs> um, yeah, like, last year, it was, you know, you have the Foo Fighters, but also Megan the Stallion, and uh, Jack Harlow, and Polo G, and, like cage the elephant it's just like yeah you there's something for everyone here you can really um you can see whatever type of music you want and instead of that this year though i'm going to life is beautiful which is more like that one also has changed we're talking about festivals that have changed like this one has become mostly electronic music uh mostly djs and that's not bad Mm. either i'm in vegas like it's mostly at night yeah that is the perfect forum for a lot of electronic artists and the Arctic Monkeys. That's that's my that's who I'm going to see. But yeah. Yeah. Coachella has changed and I'm thinking about 10 years ago when I went literally 10 years ago. It was 2012. Yeah, like I discovered so much there. I discovered The Rapture. They were there. I discovered Subtract and a couple of the bands I saw at the very top of the day were the ones I remember the most. There was Sleeper Agent, this um, five-piece uh, indie garage band out of Bowling Green, Kentucky, of all places. And then yeah. the, the Sheepdogs. You've heard of the Sheepdogs, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was amazing. So those, like, those moments of music discovery stuck with me. Also, the, the Tupac great. hologram. Oh, that was that year. Wow. Yep. When was the yeah. last time you went before this? 2009. Oh, wow. And then I'd gone in 2007 before that. That was my first one. And that was back when they had single day passes, which, you know, 
I'll be shaking my fist at them for uh, getting rid of uh, forever because that to me was perfect being able just to go up for a day and be able to pay for that one day but um, you know they I made a calculation at some point that they would people would just buy the three day ones so they made it that way they made that their only option because they could you know simple as that you know and so um and yeah that was a great time i had a lot of great music discovery then but this year though that's kind of what i alluded to we found so many great acts what was so such a bummer though was that they no one not a lot of people were there for them when we were walking in we heard this band called the who which is spelled H-U. Oh, and they're oh, this Mon- like Mongolian the... folk rock. I love them. Yeah, I discovered uh, discovered this great band called The Who. Have you ever heard <laughs> Teenage Wasteland? Um, no, so they're a Mongolian folk rock heavy metal band, and they have kind of, uh, they have like the Mongolian throat singing and just very epic, very cool, sounded so, just so rich. And I was so excited. I was like, whoa, what is that? And I think I was really hoping for something like that. I was hoping for a moment like that. And looking at the lineup, I was unsure if I was going to have that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's, you know, I think all in all, it's fairly well-rounded. A lot of it's reflective of what's popular now, which, you know, fine. But I wish, you know, there were maybe some more risks. But to really, you really had to, if you wanted to take chances and stuff you really had to spend the entire day there and make a lot of sacrifices so it was not easy i right. will say that it the 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 way the lineups the way the set times are and the huge amount of areas too there's the outdoor stage the coachella stage there's three tent there's four tents they've and then added a the do lab well there's the yuma tent there's the sahara there's the mojave and the gobi and then there's the gobi which is indoors and then there's the uh sahara state uh area okay so there's there's a lot of places to see music, Damn. and it doesn't really reward um, eclectic music taste. And I know that sounds a little intense, but like if you wanted to see a punk band, but also, um, you know, uh, uh, a really cool DJ, you couldn't really do. You, there were a lot of tough choices. Like they would just like play. We, they they would play all yeah. of that at once. Yeah, like there were so many hard choices, and like thankfully their app works fairly well for the most part in terms of figuring out where you want to go but um and their service at the festival which wasn't always the case mm-hmm. at bottle <laughs> um, rock they have wi-fi that where you attach to it oh. and you can run the app and they even have nice. like a location thing on the map so like you can share oh, the cool. location with your friend and so you can always find each other as long as you can connect to the wi-fi that's cool i you know I didn't really explore the app to know enough whether they had they offered that. I want to say they didn't, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I didn't take advantage of that or didn't feel the need to. But um, and yeah, there were certain bands we came for that I think, which which was something. Another thing I noticed was because this had been put off for two years, there were a lot of bands I think that were on the lineup from a couple years back that maybe don't have quite the moment they did now than they did two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so you would find there were like certain bands, the stages were, or the crowds were just so empty, so cleared out. And I'm thinking of Idols in particular. There was no one to see Idols? Well, there were, but it was compared to like an electronic act. Like we saw them around like nine or 10. The crowd wasn't even half filled. And I'm not trying to clown on or diss Idols. I love that band and was so thrilled to see them. But I was disappointed how few people were there. 
compared to like caribou mm-hmm. which again no disrespect to caribou love caribou as well but the next night at the same time same tent had the entire place filled right so i think it's just there was a little bit of like you know but the album they had hadn't you know it, it's out of the album cycle and i think being a uk band sometimes it's harder for it to translate over but um but yeah, I had ton day one had a lot of great stuff. Idols, like I said, were great. The Avalanches, the Regrets, Slow Tie was really fun. We saw Carly Rae Jepsen, and uh, I think folks will be pleased to know that for a lot of artists, they have somebody signing the lyrics as the show goes. Oh yeah, so I love those, that. That's I love that. That's yeah. a thing now. And also, um, you know, Dave Grohl likes to play with them as well. Uh, like, have you seen those videos where he just like goes down like next to the uh, to to the signer and just like has like a ball with them? <laughs> I haven't seen that, but that's fun. That yeah, sounds like something he'd do. He's a fun guy. He's a real fun guy. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed about like the bands that were getting the airplay because you the there are only three channels of the live stream, so it's curated. It's heavily curated. They're only showing you like you know. Uh, a half of all the performances and a lot of the early ones in the day get left out. Yeah. So, but I noticed that the bands in particular that they chose to play were ones that have viral TikTok songs. Um, yeah. So you have, and, and you know, that that's kind of great because like a band like surf curse would just like not be like, have that coverage without teens picking up freak. Like they're a punk band and they're very loud and abrasive, but I loved it. And my partner's like, this isn't for me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're dressed as like the cast of the Wizard of Oz and they're all changing instruments all the time and they're just wailing. Like, how do you not like this? Anyway, it's my it's my own thing. And like Beach Bunny 2 and Mona Skin, like these are bands that without the benefit of a democratized internet probably wouldn't have like the platform hmm. that they do. Yeah, that was fascinating. There was a huge uptick of bands like that or artists like that where they would straight up just say i can't believe i'm here this is like my first big festival show Mm -hmm. and it was and very open about they had a song on tiktok go viral and they just went up so it was a lot of young artists like that and less seasoned acts but everyone was on their a game i mean everyone was stoked to be performing and very impressive um i was yeah really blown away by the performances from from every level really um, that was my first time seeing Japanese breakfast and that was maybe my favorite of the weekend. Mm. Oh yeah. I liked all. her set. I also really liked, um, former, well, she wasn't a guest of the pod, but we talked about her Biba Doobie. Oh my God. I loved mm. the contrast of her just like playing kind of like heavy alt rock with her band that none of them look like they were over 20 years old, but also she's like dressed in this like <laughs> little summer dress and it's just like very feminine and cute. But then just like kind of these like really heavier songs. And I kind of love that juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. I missed that one, but sounds like a, sounds like a great, yeah, I can run through some highlights. I mean, I loved, um, Kuko, Caribou, Caroline Polachek, Turnstile. Wish I could have caught more of that one, but that was, um, that was what, from what I heard, a very great live act. Charlie XCX's Um, favorite band. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's a that's a fun fact. Mm. 
that probably helped them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I was surprised how f- intense the crowd was for that one. Um, Pablo Vitar was incredible. Oh, completely yeah. blown away. Oh my God. Um, and yeah, um, let's see. Oh God, there was so much stuff. Oh, Black Midi blew my mind. I mean, that's very intense, intricate, experimental. It's not easy music to groove to, <laughs> we can just say. But it was the most very cutting edge, very interesting. They had these incredible interpretive dancers and just made this chaos just seem so fun. And they really knocked me kind of out off my... Uh, they left me feeling very off balance after mm-hmm. seeing them in a good way, which is what I really wanted. I really wanted someone just to really, you know, blow your mind live. And I think it, it can be hard for a DJ to do that for me, um, which is, that's just my own taste. And, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're on drugs on this festival, I'm sure it's, it's way more intense and fun with certain people. But, um, yeah, lots of lots of great acts. I will say this: the um, the wind was this was out of their control, but that made it the heat and the wind made it made it tough. Um, and the walking, it's an exhausting festival. Everything's so <laughs> spread out. It is, and it's chaotic at night, um, especially because there's people, there's people, crowds of people going from stage to stage. Like there's no real walkways anywhere, so it's just it's wild. And mm-hmm. I thought, um, yeah, like general admission was just, which seemed so brutal. Not a lot of places to sit, not a lot of shade. Um, water was a little scattered and not as easy to come by, I feel like, as it should have been. So I felt like they were a little rusty, maybe, in terms of the logistics. And yeah, um, and yeah even with the security, kind of like we were talking about earlier, there was a little, there's a lot of confusion, I think. And um, I think one guy asked us, um, Oh, is that what this is that what this pass is? What is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But hopefully they learned a lot and will be even better next year. We can only hope. I'm gonna keep, you know, blasting my uh, counter programming here, mainly because Bottle Rock has been my festival for the past, you know, six years. But those are all things that they the the just for a little bit of history, the first year, 2013, was a disaster. Uh, there there was no... Because, like, the fairgrounds that they have it in Napa gets dusty real quick. So by the time Bad Religion was playing on day one, it was just a dust storm. They had no way of moving yeah. the crowd around. And then they misbudgeted things and they didn't pay any of the vendors. And they were going to go out... Like, somebody came in and bought the rights to the festival, paid all of the vendors, and kind of turned it like learn from all the mistakes. It's kind of a small area, but they have designed it in a way that facilitates the flow of crowds. There's always water stations where there are people like with the hoses, like pouring stuff into your water as you're going. So I don't think you're ever like wanting for just uh, knowing like how to get where you're going to go or not having what you need. It's still expensive, but there are one day mm-hmm. passes y'all. You can do the one day passes if you so choose. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Keep that up, Bottle Rock. Mm-hmm. Um one person I wanted to shout out was Alec Benjamin, who I ran into there, and Pedro and I were both there for that one, and that was very fun. Al Alec did a great set. Um and yeah, he really owned that stage. He looked like he belonged up there and did a great cover of the Postal Service. And that was a big 
um, that was really the big theme for me for the weekend. The, the connection between all these acts was how much the 90s and the 2000s reared its head at this festival. I feel like so many acts either did a cover from that time or were referencing that period in some way, whether it was bringing out an older act. Um, that was a huge theme. I mean, from seeing Arcade Fire show up last minute, hearing just these iconic songs from those t- the, that time, um, uh, Caroline doing uh, Breathless by The Coors, <laughs> Um, hearing regrets do I don't like your boyfriend. Uh, Slow tie ended his set. Slow tie for those who don't know is a grime rapper from the UK. Ended his set with just a playout of Barbie Girl by Aqua. Mm. Didn't even sing along to it. Just said you want to have some fun, and then the DJ just pressed play, and he just stood there and just sort of mined along to the song, and then just walked out. <laughs> Fucking so cool. King shit. Yeah, seriously, and. And then I think, and then of course with Billy bringing on some of those, you know, those guests, uh, Harry bringing out Shania Twain, um, and uh, yeah, just ret- nods to a lot of these older songs. I thought was really fascinating, and um, yeah, and that's reflected very much of our time. I feel like too, the '90s and the 2000s are are back in a really big way, which probably sounds obvious to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but this really cemented that. Yeah. Listeners, we spoke to Alec Benjamin a couple of weeks ago, so go check that out. He was one of our best guests, and Alec, we would love to have you back. Hopefully, we're opening the bar soon, if we ever find Pedro. (laughs) I do want to say this, though, too. I would recommend folks who didn't get a chance to go out, or if you did, look at the lineup and look at the small font. Zoom in on that and, and just dig into some of those bands. Um, Alton Goon, this band that has Dutch and Turkish members doing all Turkish site covers. Check those, check that band out. Viagra Boys, so much fun. Um, Lo-Fi Sounds of I Dress, so great. Um, Ooh, yeah. Coffee. Anyone with coffee in their name, go see them. <laughs> I've kind um, of been doing the same thing with, because I'm going to, like I said, life is beautiful in a few months here. I started at the very, very bottom of the lineup and I've been going through the bands and the artists one by one going up the list. And I have found some great stuff. Uh, big recommendations y'all not Coachella related, but small font, listen to the blossom. She spells her name B L S S M. She is doing this like trap inspired, uh, acoustic indie rock. And she's incredible. Like her songs are so catchy and so good. Also Claire Rosencrantz, she just kind of fucks around on the guitar, makes music with her dad, and ends up making these just bizarro pop songs. Like, she'll just be noodling on the guitar at the beginning of a song. She'll be like, doobie doobie doo, and I'm gonna start singing now. And that's the studio recording. Love it. Like, I cool. bet you she's gonna be real fun when I go see her. Yeah, look, don't sleep on the small font. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Uh, Ryan, that was a lot of talk about Coachella. Are you ready to... <laughs> switch gears and talk to our guest for the day it feels totally natural because there was some great post-punk and dark stuff to be found at coachella mulchat doma and viagra boys uh, to name a few and so yeah i'm excited let's switch on over drew like we promised we have quite the treat for y'all Our guests today are two members of a Tampa-based synthwave group 
who trade in the art of retro-futurist nostalgia. They craft songs that evoke the haze-filled clubs of the 1980s, but with a progressive bend that places them right up there with some of the best innovators of the new Roaring Twenties. They've played at Lollapalooza, Shaky Knees, and Levitation, toured with White Reaper, The Nude Party, and Broncho, and will be taking the stage with the infamous Jack White in August. And they've dropped by to talk about their debut LP, Boom Nights, on their way to the top. Tunes and Tumblers fan, please welcome Rob Went and Bree Dew of the band Glove to the pod. how's it going going good thank you for joining us it's it's just been wild getting your music like we've worked with maddie for a long time and as soon as she sent us your stuff i was like wow like we have never covered a band like this we need to do this we need to get you guys on the show so thank you so much for being here really eager to dive in Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So for listeners who haven't heard of Glove yet, and I say yet because I'm sure they will, how do you personally describe your sound? New age nostalgia. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say we're we're sort of a synth band, but we're not quite a synth band at the same time. You know, even though there's a lot of uh, modern new wave. (laughs) We're living in the future. Like, for sure. Like we're like that futuristic band that like say in the eighties, like what they thought the future would sound like. I feel like that is <laughs> what we are. <laughs> Maybe. I feel like there's a lot of uh, different influences in the sound uh, and the production of things. So it's a little hard to like pinpoint, you know, to a, a specific thing, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, we're into that older sound of the late seventies, early eighties, but also with the, uh, we were raised like in the 90s 2000s so we love like daft punk and like mgmt and bands like that it's like also we're an influence so it's kind of you know a little modern a little nostalgic (laughs) dancey like we love dance music Mm -hmm. what's the so because i feel like when when you're when when you're a band that has that when you're drawing on some of those kind of new wave and post-punk influences there must be a point where you like you're hearing some of the same folks mentioned and it must be kind of like, oh, another Bauhaus reference, another, you know, reference to this. What's the weirdest one uh, you think you've gotten or the most surprising in, in these types of <laughs> talks? Really, really interesting ones that we were like, huh, we didn't even actually know what the band sounded like. Uh, a weird one was car seat headrest. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but we were like huh and then we looked it up and we were just so confused afterwards we're like okay uh. <laughs> yeah i guess justin justin's got a pretty uh baritone sort of vocal and oh right. when i saw that band yeah they had sort of a, a i think he got a marilyn manson once too yeah. <laughs> another yeah. comparison that we're like okay <laughs> we'll take you'll take it right yeah right. yeah yeah totally absolutely <laughs> You know, when I listen to your LP, Boom Nights, like I'm just, what, what you were saying, Bree, uh, what comes to mind is retrofuturism. And to me, it feels like the logical extension of what post-punk and synthwave sounded like in the 80s if it continued all the way to 2022. And you don't see a lot of bands doing that in a way that sounds so familiar and yet so progressive. I'm wondering what influences you drew from in creating this album. 
it was so natural like writing these songs yeah and, and and a lot they were they were written in in a, a big chunk of space like some of the songs we we've had it for years since we started the band and um uh, some of them we made changes to it on the final recording, you know, stuff got switched around or maybe the whole song got changed. But some of them we had it for a long time and some of the songs were written in like, you know, uh, the song Personality Change, for example, it was the last song we recorded. And that song was recorded a year and a half after we started the record because of COVID and all we started right before COVID. So there was a point where we couldn't really go back and finish. So we had to wait quite a while. But in that process, I feel like we discovered or rediscovered a lot of stuff that we were trying to work with. They were, you know, kind of different in, in a sense. From when um, they were like written to when they were recorded, like they evolved a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a group of songs, like it's kind of feels like compilation like for us. I think so, because mm. it was such a long span of like our time together. Um, like every like it was just like all these different experiences like combined into this first album, you know, and like also finding ourselves as a band and like finding our sound. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like even the uh, production side of things when we first started the record, um, I think we had a different, uh, not a different uh, 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 mindset for it but it definitely progressed as it went just by being in the studio with you know brad and jeremy um putting a lot of input on what you know things how should go and and why not and the the recording process itself i feel like even before that we were we had a couple singles that we released that were kind of recorded live and then we just like over the, the vocals but and those were recorded at home like this was our first studio experience too so right. getting and, to play around with that and so i feel like by the time that we kind of finished the record it was like we were using a lot of stuff that we hadn't used when we started you know we were using a lot of midi sequences and sending to synthesizers and like getting a little more complex on like how to route all this stuff. And I feel like that affected the, the recording process and the, the outcome of the, the recording, you know, in a good way, at least for us. So I feel um, we were, when we first started, it was very like acoustic based band in terms of, uh, I don't mean acoustic guitars, but like it was acoustic mm-hmm. drums. It was regular drum set and like guitar bass. Um, and keyboard and And i feel like the synths were more of a part like a a textural part of the of the sound you know it was there were still kind of like rock songs pretty much with synth parts in it and i feel like by the time we finished the record we were doing a lot more sync and using drum machines and and stuff like that that we always wanted to use it but just kind of didn't know how to use it or still don't kind of you know but <laughs> if i yeah if i had to like sum up everything i feel like it, like this album was very much like discovery for us mm. like a lot of discovery of playing around with new things and like to, like to house what to do with these songs we had written and are like new songs that were coming and like how to put them all together mm-hmm. um that is boom nights <laughs> yeah i loved hearing about the story of like the shift in uh, a song like modern toy where there was the change to shift kind of the perspective of it with the vocal. Yeah. Yeah. That. Like Rob wrote that song and then we were like singing it together 
Mm-hmm. And then like when we came to record it, like I think Brad was the one who was like, no, Bree has to sing this song. And we were like, okay. And then like I ended <laughs> up uh, writing like the last couple verses for it, like the day before we recorded it. Yeah. So that was like, yeah, mm-hmm. last minute change there. I think what I was like so intrigued by about your band is that it's sort of, it's sort of unclear. There's all these places like mentioned or sort of referenced, but it's, it's, it's also hard to, it's like disorienting to see where you come from because you're a Tampa band, but a song like that feels very much like in the spirit of like a no wave song, you know, like a New York song, but you're kind of talking about Hollywood. It sounds like a little bit like general entertainment industry. So to me, I'm so, I love the space I'm drawn into or almost like the liminal space I'm drawn into with it. Yeah, I mean, I think we always had that, um, even, uh, you know, even before this band, I feel like when we, right before we started the band, we kind of already had this concept of, uh, it, it always felt a little strange, or we didn't know about it until we started touring, and people are like, Tampa, Florida, huh? Like, you know? and you know i feel like and then right after that comes a lot more questions of is there a scene is there other bands like that you guys what's you know and all (laughs) things but we're like no i mean i feel like you know and i'm sure you know this with the internet i mean we're we're very um very stay home people we like you know we like to do stuff at home we we're like you know movies and art and you know get inspired by stuff i feel like we kind of just do it on our own and we kind of always knew that you know even if you're from new york or from la or from chicago you're still gonna have to tour and get out of your city to Mm -hmm. go you know do stuff and i feel like you know sometimes it does count for a band to be from places like that but you know i feel like most of the time it kind of doesn't because you're gonna have to go do i feel it. like we come from like right. our imaginations uh like more than uh <laughs> like where we rest our heads at night like you know i don't think we identify yeah. as like the place we're from i right. feel like we live in our own little headspace basically yeah it's so funny there's sort of this naive response of like but wait, Florida, where it's sunny? How can that be? But some of the darkest music, you know, I feel like at that time came out of L.A., you know, like uh, Christian Death, you know, and a lot of those bands. on. I mean, it's such. a place for shady people. That's what Iggy Pop said. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. I remember at that reading about that time, it was like in the late 70s, early 80s, there was almost this reverse discrimination thing that happened with bands where if you were from L.A., it was less interesting. But if you were from, like, Ohio or somewhere else, like the Paraubus or the Devos, it was more, like, exotic or something, or surprising, if the band... You know, like, <laughs> the closet freaks are from these, like, weird places that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, right. I mean, I feel like even a lot of the bands that are coming out out of L.A. and New York, in all times, I feel like, you know, if you look at it, it's like, Tom Patty is technically from Hollywood, but you know, they started in Florida as well. Um, and do you have bands like Suicide Commando from Indiana in like the late 70s? You know, but they sound yeah. like they're a New York band and they're like, but I feel like even those bands, Dad Boys, you know, they moved to New York. They were also from Ohio. They were coming from other places, um, you know, in a way. And I feel like that also kind of it affects the sound in a way that you know you're so i feel like far from any other uh 
bands you know i mean i feel like if you're in new york you can go see bands all the time everyone you know there's a bunch of bands coming through or you know in la or any any major metropolitan city even even in miami i feel like you get a lot more um music but it's you know it's kind of like you you put those influences where you come from but then again you're influenced by so many things nowadays with with the internet you know it's in movie things so I feel like the most like I'm not saying we're interesting or creative, but a lot of interesting creative things come from really boring places, <laughs> you know, like you're from yeah. Florida. Like. Absolutely. Yeah. David Lynch illustrates that really well in his interviews when he talks about the creative process. He's like, I, you know, that idea came from a milkshake I had every day at Bob's at 2 p.m. You know, um, oh, we love uh, David so much. Yeah. <laughs> If he's, he needs another like Twin Peaks soundtrack someday, let us know. <laughs> I feel like you got you would have been the, a perfect band for the la- last season um, to play the one of the bands that was featured in that Roadhouse. Remember how they had like the chromatic the chromatics in there? Yeah. Someone yeah. actually said that to us at a show once. Like I feel like I just like walked into the Roadhouse and I'm like watching a Twin Peaks episode, and I was like, that is the biggest compliment I've ever received. <laughs> That should be the yeah. That should be the, the the byline. I feel like the like walking into the the roadhouse. Mm-hmm. You got to put that on the the EPK next time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of time left. But I kind of wanted to talk about something that I found really interesting about your band, and that's you don't have a front person, do you? No, not really. Not necessarily. Uh, you know, I feel like um, we never. I think we always, even when we started, um, I, I was mainly singing and then Justin came in and then he started singing a lot. And it wasn't until later that we started singing some songs. Um, well, on the first record, she like only had one time, song. Yeah. yeah, but she was singing backups and other songs. And, and then, you know, we have, we've been working on this stuff that's a lot more like Brie is singing. I feel like, you know, it's, whoever has the idea really for like we always kind of thought about like the songs and we talked about this very early on in terms of you know like uh, we knew we weren't going to have like a front person but we were always kind of conscious about okay we're writing a song you know maybe like modern toy for example i sang that song for a while Mm -hmm. and then Bree sang it and it just sounded better and it felt like it was her song so um we were like well, it's your song yeah. now. So it's kind of like, you know, wh- who fits better for this song? Yeah. And Justin is Justin is really good at writing vocals. Um, he's really good at like coming up with lyrics and stuff. And he has like a beautiful voice. So I feel like he sings a lot too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, everybody just kind of does their thing. It's like whoever has the idea for a song and it works is kind of what we go with. Right. Yeah. It really made me think about how bands are kind of a social construct. Like I haven't thought about that before and how just having one singer, um, it can be creatively limiting at some time. Like it, it seems like you're kind of open to allowing the music to take itself where it needs to go. Yeah. And it keeps it like super fun and interesting for us to, you know, like switching it up. Like it doesn't get like stagnant or feel like every song sounds the same Mm -hmm. then, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, and we like so many different kinds of music and different kinds of bands, that, you know, including like a lot of instrumental stuff, but like a lot of dance music, um, you know, and I feel like 
there's there's room for everything i mean that's that's where the fun lays you know it's just trying to come up with cool sounds and you know hopefully write songs with it but i feel like sometimes the vocal can honestly be a minor thing into it you know to where i feel like for most bands that might be the most important thing um but i feel like for us you know i think we're sometimes a synth pad or 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 some sort of sequence speaks way higher volume than the lyrics we have for that song you know totally (laughs) this this is like and a lot of focus will go into that stuff rather than you know yeah just lead singer sort of thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting hung up on traditional musician or like music theory or musicianship, I think, can hold bands up a little bit and limit the places you can go. And that's what seems so cool. It's sort of it's more important to have the creative vision realized, the synchronicity and the vision, rather than yeah, having to do something a certain way. And in some ways, that I just think that makes for such more interesting music. You know, having that idea first and figuring out how to realize it. Yeah, and I, and I feel like that way as well. We can um, we can explore more in the future with with you know albums and and, and things because I feel like if you have that much of a palette where you know we could we could do an instrumental record where a lot of you know we all play synthesizers, we all program stuff. But Bree plays drums. You know, I I play drums too. Justin is a great guitar player. Um, he had never actually played bass uh, before he joined this band. <laughs> so he, we, you know, we, when we met him, he was a guitar player, singer, and in this band, and and they were great. And we asked him, and he was like, "Well, I guess you know, bass is kind of the same thing, so I can learn it." <laughs> you were like, "Learn it so you can be in the band, because we just want you in the band." We want you in the band, so just learn bass so you can be in. Yeah, it. we're like, yeah, uh, we're and then he ended up like now he plays synth in a song as well, and I feel like there are songs where he only sings, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so it's it's cool. Yeah, we, we we really like that process. Yeah, we um, I think drink wise, Anthony, I don't know if you had a thought on that, but I was um, my where my mind went, I was I was really drawn in by the album cover of this because. I almost didn't want to know the origin of it, but I looked it up anyway because <laughs> I was so curious. Because it's so striking that the look on that uh, on that person. Um, I at first I was like, "Is this like it looks like a face mash of like ten different people that I recognize?" And the look and the but the look is so intense. Where I was like, "It can't be that." And so it. I think if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like a it's a someone presumably doing drag as um liza minnelli yeah Mm -hmm. um it was my grandmother took the photo in 1976 and she used to host drag nights at um this place called the port of call that used to be in saint pete florida and it was like a hollywood night and uh she took all those photos and they were like her friends and my mom has had all these photos for all these years and we were going through them one day and yeah, we saw like, it was something about the look on their face. Like you can see, like, it feels like you can see they were thinking about something, you know, like you can see like something in their eye. There's like a twinkle there. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just like felt really special and like felt like an yeah. iconic image. And right. then, um, and then when Rod, I think came up with the title boom nights, we were like, it just they fit together perfectly because I feel like that also mm-hmm. fit like the night my grandmother took that photo. Like, you know, it's just 
it all really came together. Mm. And sort of how this album was, I think there was there were lines floating around if it could be the best night or the worst night of your life, which felt right. And it made me think of this. Um, there's this great archival book of Andy Warhol's diary entries. Um, if you haven't read it, I hi- highly recommend finding a copy of it because it's hilarious. And it's just like, today I took a cab, wasn't feeling good. Like it's it ranges from mundane to really, you know, uh, insightful. And um, you have it all basically from from Andy, and he's talking about a he mentions a black um, a black velvet drink, which is champagne and Guinness. Have you ever heard of this? Wow! No. <laughs> I bring this up to people. No one's ever heard of it. I don't think it's a real thing. I don't know if it became a thing after he mentioned it, but I think of that a little bit too. It's like that the party vibe and just pouring black shit all over it. And kind of bringing it down and toning it down. Room nice. <laughs> That's the drink that That's... I think of. Ryan. Yeah. We have, like, we, on our third episode of the pod, we drank a black velvet. Did we drink a black velvet? Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, we did. So bringing it all the way back. But, yeah, very appropriate. <laughs> this is, like, three, I, this is three years ago. I don't think it's the tastiest drink. I will admit that. <laughs> I would I would well, maybe that's the, the album. <laughs> I don't know about that because the entire day I have had the riff from behavior stuck in my head. It just it over and over again. It's it's tasty. It's mm-hmm. a bop. I like that song a lot. I love the idea to throw the O to spell it with the O U too, to like further confuse people like where you're from. <laughs> And, you know, it's funny that's that what you, we're here for. Yes, that's I think another mission we have is to uh, you know be very abstract with everything we do, and uh, we like we kind of like that of uh, covering things up, sort of in a way like a name or a picture, or you spell it differently. Um, yeah, a I little think, mystique, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I heard that in Canada they spelled that way. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, interesting. Well, there's so much, there's so, there's so little mystery. I feel like that's such a dying concept, I think, too, which is unfortunate to me. Um, people are so wide open with everything. And I don't know. I feel like we could use a little more mystery and mystique. Agreed. Yeah. I feel like every, all the artists we like and, and relate to, uh, most of them had some level of mistake to it, you know, that. It, it makes you more intrigued into it. You you want to learn more about it. Makes it makes it more of an art too, you know, like mm. not putting it all out there. Yeah. So if you want a little bit of mystique in your life, you should listen to Boom Nights by Glove. <laughs> and thank you both for coming on the show today. I really didn't want to cut off this conversation because it's just, it's taken us some places, but Unfortunately, our listeners have uh, have to get out of their cars and actually go into their office instead of just listening to the pod <laughs> all day. What a nice Sunday. Yep. And oh, do you have anything you would like to plug for our listeners before you go? Uh, listen to Boom Nights. Uh, Come see us on tour. Directed by David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, drink a Black Velvet, um, <laughs> and listen to Boom Night. Right Thanks on. for having us. <laughs> yeah. You should ask Jack White about his guacamole recipe. Um, if you see him <laughs> on tour. 
See if we can um, pair noted, it. Noted. We'll ask. It's an old story from a few years ago that I think annoyed him quite a bit. But that's something on the writer, the writer that he has this like intense guacamole recipe that the tour manager throws on there to have fun with the, with the green room people. Anyway, you got to have one. Uh, <laughs> and thank you all for listening to Tunes and Tumblers. Tunes and Tumblers is an Atwood Magazine podcast and a member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Be sure to like the show and Atwood on every platform and check out some more of Pantheon's amazing music-based pods. Also, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the episode description, you'll find a link where you can donate directly to the show. Every dollar goes to keeping the lights on and sending an Uber into the desert to pick up Pedro and get him home safely. Tunes and Tumblers was produced, as always, by Drew Franzblau. Our theme song is by New New Girlfriend. And without further ado, here is that song that is stuck in my head, Behavior by Glove. Cheers. 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 <laughs>